0: What is up, Solo Cups? My name is John Solo, and I am not afraid to say it. Coraline is braver than me. Seriously, if you pitted me against the Dam, a monstrous fairy witch with button eyes and spider body, it's game over. My lights are going out and I'm getting my very own set of black buttons to match my soul. In my opinion, the Dam is an underrated villain, not just in terms of how scary and dangerous she is, but also from a creativity standpoint. The author, Neil Gaiman, whose brain should probably be studied by scientists, blended together folklore from all over the world when he created her. Then the director, Henry Selick, took that vision even further when he brought the bell dam to the big screen that's why today we're taking a real close look at the bell dam her powers and the lore that inspired her to figure out what exactly she is and why she sews buttons into her victims eyes chapter 1 a witchy fairy So before we start dissecting the Beldam's abilities, I think we should establish what kind of magical being she is. Many fans automatically assume she's a witch and understandably so. After all, most female magic users are considered witches and Beldam is another word for witch, but Bedlam isn't. So if you plan on making a video about Coraline, don't confuse the two or it's all anyone's going to comment about. While our resident folklorist, Jack Daly and I were researching for this episode, we noticed something though. Many of the Beldam's tactics and abilities have more in common with fairies in folklore than witches. The big difference between the two is that witches are typically mortal women who have to learn and practice their magical abilities, while fairies are naturally magical spirits. Now, full disclosure, I do think she could fit into either category, and I'm pretty confident that Gaiman's intention was to leave her origins up to the reader's twisted imagination. However, because he took so much inspiration from fairy lore specifically, I thought it'd be cool if we took a closer look at the various stories that contributed to the Baldam's creation and the Coraline story as a whole. One particular tale that's a great example of fairy lore and has a lot in common with Coraline is a poem written by English author John Keats in 1819. It's called La Dame sans merci, or The Beautiful Woman Without Mercy. In it, a knight is traveling through a meadow when he meets a beautiful woman whom he refers to as a fairy's child and they hit it off right away. The fairy tells the knight she loves him just like the books Beldam tells Coraline whenever she gets the chance, then leads him to a hidden cave where they do a little dance, make a little love, pretty much get down that night. The mysterious woman then sings the knight a soothing song that puts him to sleep and he dreams that he's visited by the spirits of kings, princes, and warriors past who tell him he's been enslaved by a beautiful yet cruel mistress. Very similar to when Coraline speaks with the spirits of the Beldam's previous victims in her dream and while she's trapped in the mirror. Then when the knight wakes up, he finds himself completely alone on a cold, wet, grassy hill and the mystery woman is nowhere to be found. From there, he stumbles back to town where he tells an unidentified listener about his journey before ultimately succumbing to whatever curse the woman put on him and presumably dies. As you can see, there's quite a bit of overlap here. There's the wandering protagonist who meets the fairy seemingly by chance, And it just so happens that fairy can give them everything they ever wanted. In Coraline's case, she wanted a world full of fun and games. She wanted parents who paid attention to her. She wanted to feel loved. And that's exactly what the Beldam gave her. Similarly, the fairy in the poem led her victim into her magical world and loved him just as the Beldam did for Coraline. But to borrow a line from the book, she loved Coraline as a miser loves money or a dragon loves its gold. In the other mother's button eyes, Coraline knew that she was a possession nothing more. This love that both fairies felt was more about what their victims provided them with, not the victims themselves. This kind of fairy could be considered a and she. The and she comes from Celtic folklore and is known for bestowing artists with love and inspiration to create great works that get them rich and famous. Then when their lives seemingly can't get any better, she abandons them, causing them to get depressed sick and ultimately die, mirroring the fate of the night and the three children. After which she feeds on their corpse and drinks their blood, which allows her to retain her youthful appearance, just like how the Bell Dam has to feed on children to survive and keep her magic at its strongest. But what's really cool is that in both the book and movie, we get to see what happens when her powers are pushed to the limit. As time goes on and as Coraline recovers the children's souls that give the Bell Dam her strength, the world that she conjured up begins to crumble and the cracks in her illusion literally start to show. What is wrong with your face? Chapter Two, Buttons and Dolls. Some more evidence supporting our theory that the Dam belongs to an evil race of fairies is the deals she makes with Coraline. Making deals is common practice for fairies and magical nature spirits in general. The Thelian and she offers wannabe artists fame and glory if they agree to love her. And the beautiful woman without mercy, it's the knight's choice to put the fairy on his horse so she can show him to her cave. The Beldam is also forced to give children a choice about having buttons sewn into their eyes, though she can sway them using whatever bribe or intimidation tactics she deems necessary. It wasn't until Coraline came along that her offer was turned down for the first time. But even in that case, another deal was made where Coraline could win her freedom by finding the three children's souls and her parents. Everybody likes games. But I know I'm not the only one who read the book and wanted to know more about the Beldam's fascination with buttons and why they incorporated dolls into the movie version. What inspired Gaiman and the director, Henry Selick, to include them? Fortunately for us, Gaiman talked about this during an interview. He said he was inspired by a story written by Lucy Clifford in 1882 titled, The New Mother. In this story, a mother abandons her two little girls after they seriously misbehave and is replaced by a new mother who wears long black robes, a pair of shiny, glass eyes and a long wooden tail that she drags behind her. Beyond that, I think the most obvious reason for the button's inclusion is that they're creepy. It's unsettling to interact with someone when you can't see their eyes because their emotions and intentions are harder to read. Coraline can't ever tell what her other mother is looking at or thinking because her eyes are essentially covered with a mask and that makes her all the more dangerous. As the old saying goes, the eyes are the windows to the soul. So without eyes, how can one even be sure that one has a soul? And when you consider that the children who accepted the Baldam's offer to replace their eyes with buttons all had their souls scattered throughout the world, it's hard denying there's a connection there. She will take your life and all you are and all you carest for, and she will leave you with nothing but mist and fog. She will take your joy and one day you'll awake and your heart and your soul will have gone. A husk you'll be, a wisp you'll be, and a thing no more than a dream on waking or a memory of something forgotten. Another interpretation I like is that the buttons symbolize that the Beldam sees her victims as dolls or playthings to be controlled. The characters that she crafts in her world are all forced to obey her orders. And when they refuse, they suffer the horrendous consequences. And speaking of dolls, the Beldam's DIY lookalikes are nowhere to be found in the book, but they remind me of a creature from European folklore called a changeling. Changelings are the deformed offspring of fairies or elves that are substituted for a human infant just like how the Beldam's dolls replace her victims, whether it be Coraline, her parents, or even Wybie's grandma's sister. According to legend, abducted children are either given to the devil himself or used to strengthen fairy magic. The second option, I would argue, is comparable to what the Dam does with them. But as fascinating and spooky as the dolls and buttons are, there's an even more intriguing element of the Dam's abilities that I wanna talk about next. Chapter Three, Ice Cream Cones and Adderstones. Did you ever notice how much emphasis the Coraline book and movie place on food? In both versions, literally the first thing the Beldam does when meeting Coraline is offer her dinner and she continues to offer her food, drink and snacks up until Coraline starts the finding things game. By my estimation, there's a few possible explanations for this. One, the Beldam is trying to fill a mother role and the stereotypical mother is always shoving food into her children's faces. Two, she could be trying to fatten Coraline up so there's more of her to eat like the witch in Hansel and Gretel. Or three, and this is my personal favorite, the food in the other world has power over the mortals who eat it just like food in fairy folklore. Humans have been warning each other about the consequences of eating food that's offered by magical beings since the earliest days of oral storytelling. Sometimes the food has damaging magical effects like the pomegranate seeds that curse Persephone to stay in the underworld. And sometimes it's just plain disgusting. Like when the troll tricked Little Red Riding Hood into eating her grandma's flesh and drinking her blood. Now we can't say for certain what effect the Beldam's food has because neither the book nor movie explicitly say. There are some theories online purporting that the food makes her more confused, vulnerable, and susceptible to the Beldam's magic, but that's never explicitly stated, though you could argue that it's implied. After all, the Beldam herself never actually partakes during mealtime in the film, and this appears to be consistent with the books universe because in the same scene, the text mentions the other mother serving the food, Coraline eating it, and that's it. Also later in chapter six, we're told that Coraline spent the night in the other world and when she puts the Adderstone that Spink and Forceball gave her in her pocket, The text reads, She put the stone into the pocket of her jeans, and it was as if her head had cleared a little, as if she had come out of some sort of fog. Once again, we have no way of knowing if that cloudiness was caused by the Valdam's food or just by Coraline spending so long in that realm, but both interpretations would be consistent with fairy lore. And now there's another element to explain. The Adderstone. What is it, and how did it help Coraline in the other world? We already talked about this in the Messed Up Origins of Coraline where I summarized the entire book, but for those who don't wanna hear me call the Beldam the Bedlam over and over again, I'll give you a quick rundown. In European folklore, adder stones, sometimes called hag stones, witch stones, or serpent eggs, were once believed to have magical properties. By looking through the hole in the stone center, one would be able to see through witch disguises and traps. They could also be used to cure illnesses, combat nightmares, and were worn as charms to protect against evil magic. It might help. They're good for bad things sometimes. No, they're good for lost things. The reason for their name, Adder Stone, comes from how people thought they were made. An adder is a kind of snake, and many believed the stones were the hardened saliva of several serpents massing together while the perforations were caused by their tongues. So not exactly the same as spink and forceable carving it out of old dried taffy, but hey, it made a cool stop-motion scene, right? Thank you all for tuning in to the Messed Up Origins podcast. We're posting episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So don't forget to sacrifice the five-star and follow buttons to the algorithm gods to make sure they bless your feed with more mythological and folklore content. If you have any thoughts on this episode you'd like to share, like if you really enjoyed it or are dying to correct my pronunciation of something, hit me up under the Messed Up Origins handles on Twitter and Instagram. And to those who are craving more Messed Up Origins, feel free to check out other episodes episodes of the podcast, or look up my YouTube channel called John Solo to experience the original episodes complete with visual aids and custom-made artwork. Until next time, Solo fam, my name is John Solo, and don't forget, John shot first.